0: Part 8 of The Highwaymen by H. C. Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 Queen Anne is dead. The pretender looked over his shoulder as Harry came up. Where is he hit? He has it in the body, and he suffers. The pretender muttered something i bring ill-luck to my friends you see best ride off mr boyce you can do me no harm sir god knows if i can do you any good the pretender looked at him curiously i think you are something of my own temper in effect there is little to hope with me who knows harry shrugged par exemple sir do you know where we are going now this is a parable i leave my friends to be shot for me and die perhaps while i ride off and know not the least of my way egad sir you were in enough of a hurry to go somewhere harry reined up am i to be trusted in the affair the pretender amazed harry by laughing a laugh so hearty and boyish that he seemed another man from the creature of stiff pedantic melancholy oh lord mr boyce don't scold you might be a politician tell me where is this damned palace kensington sir bear to the left if you please so they swung round and soon hitting upon a lane saw the village and the trees about the palace in a little while mr boyce how much do you know the pretender said and still he was more the boy than the disinherited king egad sir no more than i told you that my father had bullies watching for you and i believe i have not thanked you it was harry's turn to laugh faith sir you ought to be grateful to the family of boyce i shall not forget he takes care that you shall remember him my honorable father i do not desire repartees mr boyce come sir you carry yourself too proudly you are not to disdain what you have done or yourself. Harry bowed, permitted himself, I suppose, some inward ironic smile. He was not born with reverence, and the royal airs of this haughty, gloomy lad had no authority over him. Then and always the pretensions of the pretender appeared to him pathetically ridiculous. But for the man he would sometimes profess a greater liking than he had learnt to feel for any other in the world harry was careful to avoid most of the village as they came into it on the eastward side a horseman galloped up to them from my lord masham sir pray you follow me at speed he led them on to the palace but not by the straight approach and brought them to a little door in the garden wall upon the london side there, a handsome fellow stood waiting for them, and bowed them in with a, Sir, sir, we have been much anxious for you. I trust to God nothing has fallen out amiss. There was a watch set for me, my lord, and I fear some of our friends are down. But for this gentleman, I had hardly been here. Masham swore and cried out. They have news of the design. I profess I feared it pray, sir, come on quickly. The Queen is weaker, and my lady much troubled for her. By God, we have left it late, and the ministers must still be wrangling, and my Lord Bolingbroke like a man mazed. We must be swift and downright with the council. Then at last Harry understood. The pretender was to be brought face to face with his sister, the weakening weak queen, and a privy council was to be in waiting. Suppose she declared him her heir. Suppose she presented him to a council, all high Tories and good Jacobites. A good plot, a very excellent plot, if there were a man with the courage and the will to make it work. Within the palace it was now twilight. They were hurried up, privy stairways and along corridors, and Harry fancied behind the gloom a hundred watching eyes, and could not be sure they were all fancy. As they crossed the head of the grand staircase, Masham made an exclamation and checked and peered down. The pretender turned and Harry, but Masham plunged after them and wildly waved them on what is it my lord have you seen a ghost the pretender smiled oh god sir go on masham gasped we can but challenge the hazard now and he muttered to himself you are inconvenient my lord said the pretender with a shrug go before conduct me if you please masham brushed by him and hurried on harry understood my lord's alarm he too had seen a little company below by the grand entry and among them one of singular grace a rare nobility of form and feature a strange placidity there was no forgetting no mistaking him it was the gentleman of the bogged coach the old corporal the duke of marlborough marlborough who was in disgrace who should be in exile back at the palace when the tories were staking their all on a desperate splendid throw marlborough who had betrayed and ruined james the second come back to baffle his son no wonder lord masham was uneasy for his head they were brought to a small room blatantly an antechamber and masham brusquely bidding them wait broke through the inner door he was back in a moment as pale as he had been red. come in sir he muttered i believe we had best be short and through the open door harry heard another voice it was thin and strained and seemed to make no words like a baby's cry or an animal's across another antechamber they came into a big room of some prim splendour and as they passed the door harry made out what that feeble voice was saying the council abbey we must go to the council we keep the council waiting abbey that came over and over again and he knew why he had not understood the words were run together and slurred as if they were shaped by a mind drowsy or fuddled a great fire was burning though the day was warm enough and by the fire sat a mound of a woman she could be of no great height perhaps she was not very stout but she sat heaped together and shapeless a flaccid mass she had a table by her and on it some warm drink that steamed through the drifting vapour harry saw her face and seemed to see it change and vanish like the vapour for it was all bloated and loose and it trembled, and it had no colour in it but a pallid grey, and as he looked there came to him a sense of death. Yet she was pompously dressed, in a dress cut very low, a dress of rich stuff and colour, and there was an array of jewels, sparkling about her neck and at her bosom, and her hands lay heavy with rings. "'There hung about her a woman buxom and pleasant enough, "'yet with something sly in her plump face. "'Fie, ma'am, fie,' she was saying. "'The council is here but for your pleasure.' "'She looked up and nodded imperiously at Masham. "'The Prince James, ma'am,' Masham cried. "'The Queen, who had seemed to see nothing of their coming,' started and shook and blinked towards him he is loud abby tell him not to be loud she complained look ma'am look lady masham patted at her it is your brother it is prince james the pretender came forward holding out his hand am i welcome anne he said heavily the queen stared at him with dull eyes It is King Charles," she said, and stirred in her chair and gave a foolish laugh. No, but he is like King Charles. But King Charles had so many sons. Who is he, Abby? Why does he come? The council is waiting. I am your brother, Anne," the pretender said. What does he say, Abby? The queen turned to Lady Masham and took her hand and fondled it feebly. I am alone there is none left to me my boy is dead my babies i am alone i am alone i am your brother and your king the pretender cried she fell back in her chair staring at him her mouth opened and a mumble came from it then there was silence a moment then she began to shake and one hand beat upon the table with its rings So they waited a while, watching the tremulous, shapeless mass of her, and the tap-tap-tap of her hand beat through the room. Lady Masham took command. Nay, sir, leave her. You can do no more now. Let her be. I will handle her if I can. She rustled across the room and struck a bell. Masham, bring Dr. Arbuthnot. He irks her less than the rest. Harry followed the pretender into the outer room, shambling awkwardly. The progress from failure to failure dazed him. He recalled afterwards, as many petty matters of this time stayed vivid in his memory, a preposterous blunder into a chair. The pretender sat down and stretched at his ease. We are too late, I think, he said coldly. It is the genius of my family. He took snuff you may go if you will mr boyce harry looked up and struggled to collect himself not that you are in safety he said and was duly aware of some discomfort the dying woman the sheer ugliness of death the sordid emotions about her numbed the life in him he felt himself in a world inhuman yet even afterwards HE SEEMS NOT TO HAVE DISCOVERED ANYTHING IGNOBLE IN HIS ADMIRED PRETENDER. THE BLAME WAS FATES THAT MOCKED COLDLY AT THE HOPES AND AFFECTIONS OF MEN. I AM OBLIGED, SIR, SAID THE PRETENDER, AND SO THEY WAITED TOGETHER. AFTER A LITTLE WHILE OF GLOOMY SILENCE IN THAT bare ROOM, MASHAM BROKE IN, BECKONING AND MUTTERING, SIR, SIR, THE QUEEN IS DEAD the pretender stood up enfin said he with a shrug chapter twenty five suave qui peut. sir you must be gone instantly says masham you are officious my lord the pretender stared at him i have nothing to fear i warrant you have masham cried and so have others i believe that pardieu come my lord command yourself Where is this council? I may still show myself to the lords and challenge them. Damn, you cannot be so mad. Tis packed with wigs. They must have wind of you, cursed them. Marlborough is there, and Argyll and Sunderland burn his foxy face. It might have gone amiss, though the queen armed you to her chair. Now she is dead. There is no hope for you go to the council go to the tower go to the block the pretender turned to harry with a smile and a shrug he trims his sails quickly that's unworthy by god masham cried my lord is in the right sir harry said it's true enough marlborough is here and he makes sure you'll but extinguish yourself to try more now the need is to bring you safe to your friends you also the pretender shrugged again faith mr boyce you show yourself vastly anxious for my life you are not much concerned for my honour egad sir i should have thought your honour was to maintain your cause you'll not do that from a prison or coffin who knows the pretender said my grandfather masham was stamping with impatience oh lord sir must we gossip about your grandfather stay here you cannot it is not decent the queen's a corpse behind that door Why? and if they take you in the palace it's ruin for you and for us all oh we shall not be spared if you are caught yes i am a curse to my friends the pretender laughed drearily well my lord you shall be delivered at least lead the way masham hurried out on the word as they followed the pretender took harry's arm i wish you may be right mr boyce he said but my heart bids me stay oh sir a king has no right to a heart says harry they were suddenly thrown upon masham as he checked and drew back without warning he had come upon a woman who was leaving the queen's apartments a woman who had once been handsome and was still proud of it she stared haughtily at masham and his companions and swept on before them he was much agitated what alarms you my lord the pretender sneered carrots from somerset egad masham muttered gazing after the disdainful lady's red head it's the duchess of somerset sir the damnedest whig and she came from the queen now they will all know the queen is gone come on sir come on for god's sake they hurried after him through the palace all was quiet enough afterwards indeed harry could hardly believe that fancy had not played tricks with his memory for the emptiness the silence of the corridors must needs have been a dramatic invention of his own mind and no reality but it is true that as they hurried their retreat he was haunted by the quiet of the place the quiet of death a quiet ominous of storm they were down at the door by which they had entered and masham's servant in waiting there was despatched for the horses masham fumed at the minutes of delay ran out and in again and then with some awkwardness apologized for himself egad sir i warrant you we have done what we could it is for you i fear by god i promise you i doubt damnably how things may go pray sir put yourself in safety i am grateful for your emotions my lord masham stared at him and then cried out odds life what now the horses were coming but before the horses came two of the guards at the double they halted at the door panting and grounded their muskets what the devil's this my lad says masham none is to leave the palace my lord damn sirrah you know me it won't do my lord there's the order you must go speak with the captain at the main gate come sir i have no time forget that you were here soon enough to stop me You shall not lose by it it won't do my lord nay nay don't force me to it the corporal crossed muskets with his fellow as masham was thrusting by order is to spare none damn sir what do you mean sure my lord you know better than that the corporal grinned ask the captain if you please masham recoiled and drew the others back into the palace they heard the corporal shout put the nags up my bully my lord won't ride to-day they know you are here sir masham said with a very white face damn the somerset she lost no time what is to do now it seems my own plan was the best gentlemen if i had gone into the council we should at worst have been in no worse case oh lord sir must we wrangle that out again you are impudent my lord i will do without your company good god sir it's no time for forms what would you be at i shall go to the main gate of your palace and see who will stand in my way that's ruin for certain masham groaned be easy my lord i shall not boast myself your guest oh you are mad by your leave sir says harry we need not so soon despair i think nor you run upon your death there is something more to be tried these sentries they'll be on the watch for a gentleman of your distinction and in my lord's company or of some noble attendance but a common fellow may pass them if you would lend me your fine clothes and that great wig and condescend to my subfuse and bob "'there's no one would take so shabby a fellow for yourself. "'Maybe I might make a show to break out one way "'while you slipped past by another "'and left you to bear the brunt for me. "'I complain of you again, Mr. Boyce. "'You do not much value my honour. "'And I say again, sir, "'your honour is to maintain your cause. "'Nay, but what can they do to me?' faith it's no sin to wear fine clothes and i-well i think the whigs will never bring me into court i know too much of my father oh you are specious mr boyce the pretender smiled at him nay if all my friends were such as you i should not be in this queer plight he put his hand on harry's shoulder how am i to thank you sirrah pray sir do as i advise the hand pressed harder be it so then egad i like it very well says masham heartily the two exchanged a shrug and a sneer at him if mr boyce will risk it he may make a show of marching out by the garden entrance while you slip away by the servants wicket beyond i believe i can trust you to get rid of me my lord the pretender shrugged where may we exchange our characters and our breeches oh sir follow me we must be private about that harry burst out laughing I faith he is a gentleman of delicacy our masham the pretender said but my lord had no ears or no understanding for irony he brought them to his own quarters and fervidly entreating them to lose no time shut them in and mounted guard outside the door they cut queer figures to their own eyes when they came out and masham was distressed by their laughter what ails you he protested nervously it does well enough i swear i am flattered by your admiration pardieu says the pretender with a rueful grin down at the shabby clothes which were so tight upon him and a clutch at the bob-wig's jauntiness some are born great says harry and some have greatness thrust upon them i believe i can keep inside your periwig sir but damn if i am sure about your breeches they disdain me egad god's life sir if you make a jest of it you'll ruin us all masham cried i vow it's not seemly neither the queen's dead but this half hour and by god our own heads are loose on our shoulders my lord's in the right sir it's no laughing matter says harry ay he's all noble feeling the pretender shrugged come on sir in god's name masham groaned look you thus it goes i'll bring you within sight of the garden entry then you make to go out mr boyce with what parade you can and you sir i'll take you to the head of the back stairs you have but to go straight down and out and i wish you Godspeed with all my heart come come they marched along the corridor and must needs pass the end of that which led to the queen's apartments masham was a little ahead of the others he passed the corner then he checked and he turned sharp about and charged back at them crowding them against the wall trying to stand in front of both of them and hide them it was marlborough who alarmed my lord marlborough who came alone pacing slowly from the room where the queen lay dead no dismay no emotion troubled his supreme grace he disdained his splendours and his beauty with the wonted calm he saw them could not but see them huddled together as they were and striving not to be seen his face betrayed nothing he paced slowly up to them it seemed to harry that from the first his placid eyes looked at none of them but the pretender we have met before sir i think he said gently on the field of battle says the pretender in french marlborough bowed give me your company Oh your family has always been too kind to mine marlborough pointed the way the pretender shrugged and enfin says he with a bitter laugh and marched on with an air masham leaning against the wall and very white muttered to himself my god my god harry ran forward to look after them he saw marlborough Glance over the pretender's shabby clothes and then, making some ostentation of it, put on his hat. The pretender, with a stare of disdain, put on his, or Harry's. They came to the head of the grand staircase and went down. The servants in the hall sprang up and ran to open the doors for his grace. Harry heard a din and a clang and saw a flash of steel as the guards outside presented arms, The two passed out and out of sight. For a little while the servants stood staring after them and then came back to their chairs whispering. Harry turned round to Masham. What now? Now, Masham stared, now we may go hang ourselves. Like Judas. Damn, I don't feel the obligation, do you, my lord? Masham swore at him and began to walk off. "'Can you lend me a humbler coat, my lord?' Harry cried. "'I am no more use in this.' "'I'll do no more in it,' Masham growled. "'Look to yourself.' "'Enfin,' as his Majesty says,' quoth Harry with a laugh, and went on to look for the garden entry or any other humble door. He found it soon enough and was gone through it, to be instantly beset by a sergeant's party and a joyful shout odd tis himself tis the chevalier you flatter me says harry and they marched him off chapter twenty six revelations harry was kept a long time in the guard-room once or twice an officer came in and looked him over but he was asked no question and he asked none he was ill at ease not i believe from any fear for himself he knew indeed that he might hang for his pains what he had done for the pretender was surely treason or would be adjudged treason with the whigs in power and the hanoverian king but death seemed no great matter he was not a romantic hero he had no faith no cause to die for and he saw the last scene as a mere horror of pain and shame only it must be some relief to come to the end for he was beset by a hopeless reckless distrust of himself everything that he did must needs go awry he was born for failure and ignominy memories of his wild delight in alison came stabbing at his heart and he fought against them and again they opened the wounds yes for a little while he had been given the full zest of life all the wonder and the glory that he might know what it was to live maimed and starving it was his own fault faith he should never have dared venture for her he a dull blundering graceless fool how should he content her oh forget her forget all that and have done she would be free of him soon and so best best for himself too it was a dreary affair this struggling from failure to failure whatever he put his hand to must needs go awry save the pretender from the chance of a fight and deliver him into the hands of marlborough marlborough who would send him to the scaffold with the noblest air in the world why but for that silly meddling at kensington the lad might have won free now he and his cause must die together before a jeering mob so much for the endeavors of mr harry boyce to be a man of honor mr harry boyce should have stayed in his garret with his small beer and his rind of cheese he was fit for nothing better born to be a servitor an usher and he must needs claim Alison Lambourne for his desires and rifle her beauty. Oh, it was good to make an end of life, if only he could forget her, forget her as she lay in his arms. The door opened. The guard was beckoning to him. He was marched to a room in which one man sat at a table, a small man of a lean, sharp face, unbidden, Harry flung himself into a chair. He must have been a ridiculous figure, overwhelmed by the black wig and the rich clothes too big for him. The sharp face opposite stared at him in contemptuous disgust. Your name? La, you now, Harry laughed. I don't know you neither, and egad I can do without. I am the Earl of Sunderland. Then, damn, I am sorry for you. Your name, I say? Why didn't your fellows tell you? They told me. Impudence will not serve you. I warn you. The one chance to save yourself is to be honest with me. Harry began to hum a song, and between the bars he said, You may go to the devil. I care not a curse for anything you can do. So think of your dignity, my lord, and hold your silly tongue. "'Sunderland considered him keenly. "'A secretary came in and whispered, "'I will see him,' Sunderland said, "'and lay back in his chair. "'It was Colonel Boyce who broke in. "'Colonel Boyce something flushed and out of breath. "'Egad, my lord,' he began. "'Sunderland held up his hand. "'Colonel Boyce checked and stood staring at his son. "'Harry began to laugh. "'Oh, sir, you're infinitely welcome.' it only needed you to complete my happiness odd's life sirrah colonel boyce advanced upon him are you crazy what damned folly is this you know him then says sunderland oh my lord it's a wise father knows his own son and he is not wise you know are you most reverend no faith or you would never have begot me no faith nor enlist me to do murder neither. For I do but bungle it, you see, and make a fool of my Lord Sunderland. God bless him. Is he mad? says Sunderland. I profess I begin to think so, Colonel Boyce frowned. Lord Harry, stop your ranting. What brought you here? You, sir, you. Your faithful striving to do my Lord Sunderland's murders for him. Imprimis, that work of grace, but finally some good soldiers who assured me i was the man my lord wanted to murder you came here with the pretender harry laughed and began to sing a catch tis nothing to you if i should do so and if nothing in it you find then thank me for nothing and that will be more than i ever designed what a pox are you doing in his clothes sirrah colonel boyce cried Faith i try to keep them on me which is more difficult than you suppose if i were to stand up in a hurry my lord we should all be shamed the lad is an idiot said sunderland with a shrug come harry you have fooled it long enough i had a guess of this mad fancy of yours but the game is up now lad king george is king to-day and his friends have all power in their grip there's no more hope for your jacobites tell me now the pretender is in your clothes i see where did you part from him why don't you know harry stared at him oh faith that's bitter for you you who always know everything and your friends with all power in their grip oh my dear lord i wonder if there's those who don't trust you some voices made themselves heard from outside sunderland and colonel boyce looked at each other and my lord bit his fingers the colonel muttered something in sunderland's ear harry laughed do you bite your thumb at me my lord no sir says he but i bite my thumb adzo i bite my thumb be silent sirrah sunderland cried the door opened announce me said a placid voice and the secretary cried out in a hurry his grace the duke of marlborough harry went on laughing the contrast of marlborough's assured calm and the agitation of the others was too impressive oh three merry men three merry men three merry men are ye he chanted no damme it's more shakespeare the three witches egad and i suppose duncan is murdered in the next act "'When shall you three meet again in—' "'Oh, damn your tongue, Harry! "'His father exploded. "'Marlborough was not disturbed. "'His eye had picked out Sunderland. "'Is this the whole conspiracy, my lord?' said he. "'I beg your grace's pardon,' Sunderland started up. "'You see, I am not private.' "'And he called out, "'Guard, guard!' "'No,' Marlborough said, "'and as the soldiers came in, dismissed them with, "'You are not needed.' "'Sunderland fell back in his chair. "'Oh, if you please,' he cried peevishly, "'at your grace's command. "'You have no secrets from Mr. Boyce, my lord,' he turned to Harry. "'Sir, we have met before.' "'And he bowed. "'Yes, the first time your wife was stuck in the mud. "'Now it's you.' "'Sir, you have obliged me on both occasions,' Marlborough said. "'Well, my lord?' "'You had Mr. Boyce under examination. "'Pray go on.' "'I don't understand, Your Grace, Sunderland,' said sulkily. "'I have done with the gentleman.' "'Colonel Boyce thrust forward. "'By Your Grace's leave, I'll take the lad away. "'Time presses, and—' "'You may be silent,' said Marlborough. "'For the first time in their acquaintance, "'Harry saw his father look at a loss. "'It was an ugly, ignominious spectacle.' marlborough turned to harry smiling and his voice lost its chill well mr boyce how far had it gone were they asking you what you had done with prince james harry stared at the bland handsome condescension and hated it oh you have always had the devil's own luck he cried devil give you joy of it now you mistake me i believe I can forgive you more easily than some others, he turned upon Sunderland. I will tell you where Prince James is, my lord, safe out of your reach, on his way to France. Sunderland made a petulant exclamation and spread out his hands. Your grace goes beyond me, I profess. Do you choose to be frank with me? Frank? Marlborough laughed. You know the word, then. "'By all means, let us be frank. "'I found Prince James in the palace. "'He accepted my company. "'We had some conversation, my lord. "'I present to you the results. "'You have used my name to warrant a silly knavish plot "'for murdering Prince James in France. "'You entered upon a silly knavish plot "'to murder him on this mad visit to London, "'and while engaging me to aid your motions against the jacobites you gave me no advice of this damning folly to complete your blunders but for the chance that i came upon him and took him through your guards you would have been silly enough to plant him on our hands in prison i do not talk to you about honour my lord or your obligations i advise you i resent my name being confused with these imbecilities sunderland who had been wriggling and and become flush cried out i'll not submit to this i don't choose to answer your grace you shall hear from me when you are cooler my compliments marlborough laughed i do not stand by my friends i lose my temper you will easily convince the world of that my lord colonel boyce Before Harry's wandering eyes, his father came to attention, and with an expression much like a guilty dog's, waited his reward. You have had some of my confidence, and I think you have not lost by it. You have repaid me with an impudent treachery. I shall arrange that you have no more opportunity at home or abroad. "'Pray leave to ask your graces pardon,' Colonel Boyce muttered. "'I swear you may be silent,' Marlborough said, and turned away from them. "'Pray, Mr. Boyce, will you walk?' Something bewildered by this time. Harry stood up, and they went out together. "'I require a carriage for this gentleman,' said Marlborough to the sergeant of the guard, and with a smile to Harry. "'That will be convenient, I think?' egad sir you might say decent says harry with a wary hand on his breeches spare me a moment while you wait marlborough turned into a recess of the corridor prince james expressed himself much in your debt mr boyce considered me not less obliged thanks to you i have freed myself of suspicions which i profess it had irked me to bear Your grace owes me nothing. I never thought of you. Or, if I did, you were the villain of the piece. Marlborough laughed. And now you are sorry to find I am not so distinguished? Why is it a pleasure to despise me, Mr. Boyce? Harry had to laugh, too. It's a hit, sir. I suppose your grace is so great a man that we all envy you. "'and are eager for a chance to defame you "'and bring you down to our own level. "'You're above that, Mr. Boyce,' Barlborough said. "'I make you my compliments on your conduct in the affair, "'and pray remember that I am in your debt. "'I don't know your situation. "'If I can serve you, do me the pleasure of commanding me.' "'Oh, your grace does everything magnificently,' says Harry,' with a wry smile and liked him none the better chapter 27 virtue is its own reward there is reason to believe that the earl of sunderland and colonel boyce fell out sunderland never an easy man suspected that he had been ridiculous and was nervously eager to make someone smart for it colonel boyce was in a despondent rage that any one should have heard marlborough rate him so they seemed to have had some cat and dog business before they parted each i infer blaming the other for their ignominy but they took it in very different fashions colonel boyce suffered in the more respectable part of his soul sunderland merely fumed and felt venomous for it is certain if absurd that colonel boyce had a sincere reverence for marlborough he much desired one of his few simple human emotions that marlborough should think well of him if he had tacked marlborough's name to a dirty business about which marlborough knew nothing he had honestly believed that his grace would be very well content to know nothing of the means and profit by the end that his hero should retort upon him disgust and contempt wounded him painfully. Final proof of his devotion, he never thought of questioning Marlborough's judgment. He had no doubt that he had managed the affair with miserable stupidity and bowed a humiliated head. Unfortunately, he was not ready to bow it before Sunderland. If there was to be scolding between him and Sunderland, He had a mind to give as much as he took. My Lord had been art and part in the whole affair, and could have his share too in the disaster, but Sunderland had no notion of accepting Marlborough's opinion of him. Sunderland had no reverence for any of God's creatures, and with Marlborough safe out of the room snarled something about an old fellow in his dotage. This much enlivened the quarrel and they parted in some exhaustion but still raging the knight brought counsel sunderland might tell himself and believe that marlborough had become only the shadow of a great name but the great name he knew very well was valuable to himself and his party and he had no notion of throwing it away for the sake of his injured dignity in his way Colonel Boyce was quite as necessary to my lord. The fellow knew too much to be discarded. Moreover, he would still be valuable. His talents for intrigue, and even that weakness of his, his fertility in multiplying intrigue, much appealed to Sunderland. So before noon on the next day, Colonel Boyce was reading a civil letter from my lord. He sneered over it, but it was welcome enough he did not want to be idle and must rely on sunderland to find him agreeable occupation he walked out to wait on my lord and they made it up which was perhaps unfortunate for mr Waverton. later in the day my lord heard that a gentleman was asking to speak with him a gentleman who professed to have information about the pretender which he could only give to my lord's private ear thereupon my lord received a large and imposing young gentleman who said my lord sunderland my lord i am geoffrey waverton of tetherden a gentleman of family as you may know and sufficient estate this is to advise you that i am in need of no private advantage and desire none but only to do my duty against traitors you are benevolent sir but i am busy i believe you will be glad to postpone your business to mine my lord says mr waverton haughtily let me tell you at this moment of anxious doubt mr waverton hesitated like one who forgets a bit of his prepared eloquence let me tell you the pretender has come to these shores he has come to england to london HE WAS IN KENSINGTON YESTERDAY. YOU AMAZE ME, MR. WAVERTON. MY LORD, I CAN TAKE YOU TO THE HOUSE. YOU ARE VERY OBLIGING. IS HE THERE NOW? I BELIEVE NOT, MY LORD. AND I BELIEVE NOT, TOO. MR. WAVERTON, THE WORLD IS FULL OF GENTLEMEN WHO KNOW WHERE THE PRETENDER WAS THE OTHER DAY. YOU ARE TEDIOUS. WHERE IS HE NOW? my lord i shall put in your power one who is in on all his cunning secrets one who is the treasonous mainspring of the plot sunderland who was something of a purist made a grimace a treasonous mainspring you may keep it sir you are pleased to be facetious my lord i warn you we have here no matter for levity i shall deliver to your hands one who is deep in the most dangerous secrets of the jacobites art and part of the design which at this moment of peril and dismay brings the pretender down upon our peace mr waverton you are as dull as a play who is he this bogey of yours he calls himself boyce said mr waverton with an intense sneer harry boyce a shabby scrubby trickster to the eye You would take him for a starveling usher, a decayed footman. It's a lurker in holes and corners, indeed, a cringing, groveling fellow, but with a heart full of treason and all the cunning of a base low hypocrisy, still a youth, but sodden in lying craft. Sunderland picked up a pen and played with it, and through the flutter of the feather he began to look, keenly at mr waverton pray spare me the rhetoric says he what has he done your friend harry boyce he has this long time past been hand and glove with the jacobites of sam's i have evidence of it now mark you what follows yesterday betimes he slunk out to kensington using much cunning secrecy and there he made his way to a certain house i wonder if you know it my lord it was close watched yesterday and a coach that came from it was beset i wonder if you have been asking yourself how the pretender evaded that watch i can dispel the mystery this fellow harry boyce went in with news of the guard about the house it was in his company that the pretender rode away why do you stop said sunderland where they went then i cannot tell you you will please to observe my lord that i am precisely honest with you and even to this knave boyce just but it is certain that in the evening when harry boyce came back to the low tavern where he lodges and he came if you please in a handsome coach he was wearing the very clothes of the pretender Ay, even to the hat and wig, "'I believe I have said enough, my lord. "'It will be plain to you "'that the fellow is very dangerous "'to the peace of the realm "'and our good and lawful king. "'If you lay hands on him, "'which I advise you to do swiftly, "'you will quench a treason "'which has us all in peril "'and well deserve the favor of King George. "'For my own part I seek "'neither favor nor reward, "'desiring only to do my duty as a gentleman.' "'Mr. Waverton concluded with a large bow "'in the flamboyant style. "'Your name is Waverton?' "'Sunderland said coldly. "'Mr. Waverton was stupefied "'that such eloquence should not raise a man's temperature, "'that he should not have made his name remembered. "'He remained dumb.' "'Pray, when did you turn your coat?' "'Turn my coat?' Mr. Waverton gasped. "'You once professed yourself Jacobite. "'You went to France with a certain Colonel Boyce. "'You quarrelled with him because he was not Jacobite. "'Now you desire to get his son into trouble. "'You do not gain upon me, Mr. Waverton. "'I can explain, my lord.' "'Pray, spare me,' says Sunderland.' "'You are not obscure. "'I see that you have a private grudge "'against the family of Boyce. "'Settle it in private, Mr. Waverton. "'It is more courageous.' "'Mr. Waverton stared at him "'and began several repartees "'which were only begun. "'I find you tiresome,' Sunderland said. "'I advise you, do not make me think of you again.' "'And he struck his bell. "'But when Mr. Waverton was gone... "'I fear he has not the spirit of a louse,' "'my lord remarked to himself with a shrug. "'Thus Mr. Waverton's virtue was left to seek its own reward.'" Chapter 28 In the Tap When Harry came back to his tavern, he was, you'll believe, not anxious to be seen. He made one step from the coach to the door, scurried through the tap and upstairs but the coming of a coach and a coach of some splendor to the humble hand of pork had brought folks to the windows and at the staircase window harry bumped into his landlady who gasped at him and began save your lordship which ended in god help us it's mr boyce cook me a steak meg harry said and went upstairs three at a time "'She screamed after him. "'Have you seen your letter? "'There's a letter for you in the tap.' "'When Harry came down in his natural clothes, "'his best and one remaining suit, "'and shouted for his supper. "'She was quarrelling with the potman "'and searching the shelves. "'Meg, you villain, Meg, where's my stick? "'Lord love you, it's to the fire. "'I be looking for your letter. "'Ain't you had it now?' Days it's been here, I swear. I saw it again only this morning. By the black jar of Wasquabar it was. George, I'd rot you. Burn the letter, says Harry. Go bring me that steak, you slut. Oh, God save you. Mrs. Meg cried in a pet, and so for Alice's letter there was no more search. But indeed they would not have found it. Harry, if he ever thought about it, supposed it one of the grumbling screeds of the bookseller for whom he scribbled and was glad to be rid of so easily but he was in no case to think useful of anything the amazement of his deliverance left him in a queer state of excited lassitude his nerves were all tremulous he must needs do everything vehemently and felt the while as if he were being whirled along passive in the grip of some force outside himself one moment he was dreaming himself capable of miracles the next he was limp with weariness and utterly impotent and naturally as soon as he had food inside him weariness won and he was overwhelmed with great waves of languor he hardly dragged himself up to his attic before he was asleep when he woke the world was grey he could survey himself cynically and wonder why he had been such a fool as to be in a fluster overnight faith it was a grand exploit to dabble in conspiracies and to come out with your head still for a while on your shoulders and that only by a turn of the luck not any wit of his Well neither winners nor losers would want more of the blundering officers of mr harry boyce he was back again after his conversation with royalty and royal breeches, a hack writer in his garret and alison as far away as ever the wonderful alison the beauty of her flashed into his squalor he felt her passionate life be hanged to alison let the hack writer get to his writing all that day he strove with the fluency of ovid and to this hour his labors much flaccid verse survive in a decent obscurity it was late in the afternoon before he yielded to his growing disgust with the whinings of the Tristia, and sought relief in the open air there was not much movement in the air of long acre the day had been long and languorous with heavy showers steaming up again in the sun clouds were darkening across the twilight for more rain harry turned off to stretch his legs and find some freer air across the fields by the oxford road but he was soon tired of them the moist heat oppressed him still, and lowering darkness across the sky threatened a storm. He had no desire for a wedding, and an evening spent in the pretender's clothes. He made for his tavern again by St. Martin's Lane, and there came full upon his father. Colonel Boyce touched his hat, Harry touched his, gave him the wall, and was going by. Then the colonel laughed and caught his son's arm well met harry i was coming to seek you it's not known whether that was true and i sir i had no notion of seeking you fie don't be haughty i bear no malice egad sir that's kind in you harry sneered and pushed on colonel boyce linked arms with him why what's the matter you went off with the honors god's heart you left us like a pair of whipped dogs you've to thank yourself for that sir not me no zounds you did very well i profess i was proud of you harry then i have to envy you colonel boyce laughed you play that game well you know but sure you need not play it all the time no but i never knew you could put on such an air harry you carried it off I'm a rivre. my lord was a whipper-snapper to you i allow you were a thought too free of your wit it's a young man's fault but in the main you were admirable you make me uneasy harry said i hoped that i had quarrelled with you oh lord harry why be so bitter you have won and sure you can afford to be civil you have beat me and broken as pretty a plot as ever i knew why the devil should you snarl at me they were now turning into long acre and the coming storm had already brought darkness harry stopped and freed himself from his father's arm if you please we'll have no more of this i've no will to make an enemy of you but if you seek to be friends enemies we must be why then harry you are not so mad as to declare jacobite now it's a lost cause boy there's not a thing in it but noble hole-and-corner work and not a guinea for your pains you ay now we have it harry laughed you want to be in my secrets sir i'm obliged to you and by your leave i'll discontinue company I swear I wish you nothing but well his father cried dear sir it's your good wishes that I dread pray cut me off without a blessing he waved his hand to his father and strode off for a moment Colonel Boyce looked after him shrugged went his way so Harry walked along upon his danger he was near the tavern he was passing the end of a court from the blackness there men rushed upon him they managed it well he was almost borne down by the first onset but hearing something in time seeing a glimmer of steel he swung aside and staggered back into the kennel slashing at them with his stick They were borne past him by their vehemence, but he carried no sword, and their swords were all about him. There was no hope. Two blades seared through his body, and he fell. Colonel Boyce heard the clatter of ash and steel, and turned at his leisure to look. It was a moment before he made out Harry in the midst of the melee. Then he shouted of help and threats, and ran on with ready sword he came too late harry was down and the dripping blades again at his body colonel boyce had one fellow pinked before they were aware the others bore upon him furiously and he was hard beset he made a good fight it's the best thing in his life he understood the sword and they were but hackers and hewers they were in a mad hurry to finish him and he had a perfect calm but he was hampered and overborne he would not give ground for fear of more thrusts into the body at his feet and they closed upon him and he could not break them but now doors were opening and heads out of windows from harry's tavern a man came at a run as colonel boyce reeled back with a point caught in his shoulder gripping at the blade and thrusting at empty air another sword shot into the fight one man went down upon harry's body the other three broke off and bolted down the court by which they had come can I? says the deliverer mildly and plucked at the cloak of the man he had overthrown to wipe his sword is that a friend of yours underneath sir Egad. "'They have tickled me,' quoth Colonel Boyce, feeling at his shoulder. "'Pray lend me your hand, sir.' "'The deliverer looked him over without much sympathy. "'And, egad, it's the ancient Boyce,' he said. "'Oh, you'll survive, mon vieux. "'Who is this in the mud?' "'He rolled his own victim, who groaned effusively off Harry's body. "'It's the boy, mon dieu,' he cried.' in effect captain mcbean it's the boy says colonel boyce who was trying to fix a pad of handkerchief on his own wound mcbean was down on his knees beside harry handling him gently twice through the body by god says he what does this mean boyce damn did you set your fellows on him i am not an imbecile colonel boyce said fiercely stared at mcbean and laughed his contempt then with another manner he turned to the little crowd which was mustered bring me a shutter good lads we've a gentleman here much hurt and some of you call the watch mcbean rose with bloody hands he has it i believe he muttered hark in your ear boyce if this is your work i'll see you dead by god i will "'Oh, damn your folly,' says Colonel Boyce. "'I struck in to help him. "'I know nothing who the knaves were. "'Your own tale, maybe.' Ay, ay." McBean looked at him queerly. "'You would say that. "'Well, maybe this rogue can speak.' "'He groans loud enough. "'Down he dropped again by his victim to cry out, "'Ben, you filthy rogue, Ben, "'who a plague set you to this business?' oh you've found a friend then colonel boyce sneered the man who groaned was harry's old friend ben the fat highwayman of the north road he rolled his eyes and made hoarse grievous noises captain lord love you captain i didn't know you was in it oh gad and you have been the death of me i shall be if you lie quoth mcbean you rogue who set you on mr boyce how would i know he was a friend of yours twas a squire out of hornsey squire waverton of Tetherden, being handsome to have him downed oh gad captain don't be hard i have had no luck since you turned me off now the constables came running up and colonel boyce turned to them he and some others which have escaped stabbed my son who lies there i am colonel boyce at the blue house in st martin's lane the wretched ben was haled off groaning harry lifeless still and bleeding for all mcbean's work they lifted and carried away to his father's lodging what's your waverton in this sir says mr mcbean the silly gentleman wanted harry's wife egad i never thought he had so much gall in him i believe i'll be letting some of it out says mcbean you'll be pleased to leave that to me quoth colonel boyce mcbean looked up at him oddly ventre bleu i wonder if i'll make you my apologies have you bowels after that sir you're impertinent if you like mcbean cocked a wicked eye at him you concern yourself with the affairs of my family i resent it captain mcbean i believe you mon vieux you have done me a notable service to-night and i am ready to forget the older injuries your ill offices with my son let us call quits and part sir it won't do said mcbean with a grin what now sir i must know how harry does and make sure that he has the best there is for him, surgery and friends. He will need both, sound and sure. Be satisfied. I shall well provide him. Captain McBean shook his head. Damn your infernal impudence. Colonel Boyce's temper gave way. Odds life, sir, this is infamous. You put upon me that I would mishandle my own son as he lies wounded and near death? i shall murder him i suppose you had that against me before shall i rob him too or torture him maybe this is raving carry it where you will i'll none of it you may go end of part eight